I assume because I had stopped shivering, you got to like move away from me and stop cuddling me. And oh, I yeah. physically grabbed your arms, <laughs> pulled you back over me. And then I didn't even say it. I like whispered it, not even consciously. <laughs> it came from like the core of my being, from like my soul. <laughs> I said, hold me and never let go. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Love and Citizenship. I really appreciate you tuning in to listen to this episode, and I'm so very excited that I get to share this one with you because it holds a very special place for me. It was one of the first episodes we ever recorded, and the fact that it turned out as good as it did after the many technical difficulties that we ran into leaves me hopeful for the rest of the podcast. So, the episode today, and this is a word of warning, is extremely explicit. So if you're around kids or if you find yourself in a public space, be that with your family, your friends, might I recommend putting in a pair of earphones if you don't want the people around you listening in, because we really get down to the journeys of our own sexual expression, understanding our own individual sexualities, the relationship models and whatnot. So if you don't want the people around you listening in, this is your warning, because it is fairly explicit. I might even go on a limb and say it may be the most explicit episode that I've recorded this season. But the guest today, more importantly, is David Kelly. David is one of my very close friends. And this is a conversation that we've had in different parts over the years, but never consolidated into an hour. So it was a very interesting process to sit down with somebody I knew so well and have that conversation. And we had like a couple of guiding structures going in in terms of the things we wanted to talk about. But as you'll figure out when you listen to the podcast, it comes down to just a general vibe. And I'm so glad that we managed to capture it because that was the one aim with it, to be able to capture our natural dynamic, the way we communicate. And I'm so glad that that's come across. So super excited for you to listen to the episode. And without further wait, David Kelly. It is an honor to be here, sir, on your momentous endeavor, your Thank wonderful you. podcast. And, uh, I feel honored and humbled. I know you've had some great guests in the past. Abraham Lincoln's episode, I'm really excited. I think that's going to, you know, mm-hmm. about a lot of people really make yeah. some changes in the world. Yeah. And yeah. I think the way that you very classily rejected Michelle Obama's sexual advances was a real credit to you. It's only because I was waiting for Barack's sexual advances. So, well, aren't we all? So the episode today is essentially looking at, well, the ideas of basically sexuality, sex positivity, our individual journeys around that. And like this focus on identity that tends to be placed in all these different things of how you identify. To, to open it up to you, David, what, what do you identify as? Is there a way you identify yourself? How do you feel about identifications and like these labels that are often attached? Um, I think people are overly concerned by them in general. Mm-hmm. They very quickly stop being helpful and start becoming, I think, sort of not a burden, but kind of restricting and Mm -hmm. counterproductive. So like, I'm gay. I tell people Mm -hmm. I'm gay. Um, I think when I tell people I'm gay, I just mean it as like a helpful shorthand for them. It's like when you tell someone you're a vegetarian, you're not like trying to tell them everything about the soul of who I am and the core of my being. You're just telling them so that when you choose a restaurant, they know. We need to go somewhere to do good salad. <laughs> That's like the extent of the usefulness of it. So I like to keep myself thinking about it that way, that what being gay means to me is just that like I find men attractive and I don't find women attractive, but that's not like, you know, all set in stone. I like to think, because this is sort of what I aspire to, is that if I suddenly met some girl that I really found attractive or that I really liked or that I fell in love with or whatever, I would just go with it and not be too concerned about what it meant for like, you know, because I think mm-hmm. that's all kind of stupid and people get hung up on it way too much on both ends. It's often too restrictive. I mean, in, on, on, on one way, coming out or being open about who you are intrinsically should mean that you have the freedom to be whoever you want rather than stick to a label that has now been attached to you. Because this is something I'm very curious to know about other people. And of course you. Was there like an aha moment that you had? Or like, was there like just something that you knew? There was never a moment. I was always aware that I wasn't liking the things I was supposed to like. You know, like I was sort of 
I always had this feeling that I was like off script or something, you know? <laughs> All the other little boys are like really obsessed with football and I just do not give a fuck. I cannot make myself care. Or like I had loads of like female friends growing up. And mm-hmm. I actually remember even before like pre-puberty and pre like back when boys before girls were gross or whatever, I had like mostly female friends. And the few boys that I would hang out with would be like, it's really weird. Why do you hang out with girls? And I was just like, I don't know. And <laughs> I know I'm not supposed to, but I just do. And I don't know why. I'm a little very confusing. Yeah, being young is weird, isn't it? There's all these rules that don't make sense. But no one ever sits you down as well. And it's like, because it's not like my dad or my mom or I was like, you need to hang out with other boys and play sports. <laughs> but for some reason, I knew that's what I was supposed to be doing. And I felt bad about the fact that I just like was desperately avoiding ever having to do that. Like, I have no memory of realizing that gay was a label that, like, applied to me or that I felt some affinity with. Mm -hmm. I remember just always feeling different and sort of not fitting in properly. And then I guess just gradually that, obviously, then puberty happened and everything. So then I was aware that I wasn't sexually attracted to the things I was supposed to be sexually attracted to. Yeah. And then I was a while where I was just like, well, maybe I'm just not, you know, interested in anything. Then I started realizing, like, oh, wait, no, I am, like, enjoying these hugs with some of these boys a bit too much. <laughs> like, hmm, this is, <laughs> this is odd. This is interesting. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was sort of just a gradual process. I think maybe I wasn't, I was too kind of cut off on my feelings to ever have a moment where I just, like, sat down and had a chat with myself and thought, you know, like, right, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I just sort of, it's so hard to talk about this about just realizing how ridiculous it is. <laughs> And just looking back and just going like, well, of course you were gay. And like, who gives a fuck? Just like, do it. But like, when you're 14, it's like the end of the world. It's so important. Yeah. And this is like, unrelated to anything. But it just occurred to me. Some of the like, especially men, straight men, are kind of nostalgic about when they were like in the 15 to 17, 18 kind of range. Especially like sporty guys. There's often like the subtext when I'm talking about them. It's like, you know, oh, those were the days of like, you know, oh, it's like glory, like that. They kind of on some level, I think it seems like to me that they sort of feel like they peaked a bit when they were like, you know, 17 and like on the best rugby team and of the school or wherever. And I do think it's good. There are downsides to it as well. But I think a good thing about gay people my age and older is that we're not too nostalgic about when we were in that sort of like late teen period, because for us it was shit. <laughs> so I think that is sort of where it is something anecdotally I've noticed hanging out with like straight guys and then hanging out with queer people is like, oh, there's less sort of nostalgia kind of mm-hmm. going on. More sort of like looking at what your life is now and what your life could be in the future and less like entrenched. But I know that's mm-hmm. just like my anecdotal experience. It's not really. No, it's very interesting that you say that. Like, this is my take on why that might be. I think the notions of what it means to be a man or the ideas of what the very traditional notion of masculinity and what those qualities are are so restrictive that when you go on into the world as we live in now, unless like you're actively a sporting star, unless like, I don't know, you're a rapper with like women twerking around you, which is often how like men have been shown to like exercise their masculinity of like play sports, have loads of women around you, throw money wherever you can and like be butch or be go to gym or like all these different ideas of how you express your masculinity. For a lot of men now who are working 95 jobs in front of a computer screen, they don't get to exercise any of that masculinity because that is the only way they've been told they can be a man man by exercising any of this. So I think when you when you go down to a place where you can't do much of that anymore, you can't help but go back to the good old days when you were like more man than you are now. And I know how weird that sounds. The reason I'm even coming at it from that angle is because having gone to a single sex boarding school, I saw a lot of my own peers trying to embody those spirits when I couldn't give two shits. Like I never played sport in school. Or if I did, I used to play squash, not quite well, but I used to. It was considered the more feminine sport to play. Like, who has who has decided what is a more feminine or masculine sport to play which comes to the bigger picture of the identities that we're talking about like who has decided that this is like the way to be like this is the gay way to be or the more manly way to be is like what is to say like somebody can't be both feminine and also be a man 
I would like to think I'm not the most masculine human out there. I'm not a Ron Swanson with my thick walrus mustache <laughs> and like talking about meat all the time. Like on one hand, boys are taught that you have to be stoic. You have to go to the gym and like lift weights and that you have to speak in a deep husky voice to be a man. And then on the other spectrum, there are all these different other ways that you can channel that energy. And I don't think maybe the society we grew up in, and I only hope that the society that our kids grow up in will be different, but the world that we grew up in very much expected that. A few little things. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are just things you said, but did you ever see Jennifer Lopez? She had a song, My Pappy, or like Pappy or something, but the music video for it is like, her doing like a rap star music video but it's like gender swaps because normally j-lo in all her music videos is wearing like you know really sexy stuff but in this yeah. music video she's wearing like kind of baggy jackets and shit like what rap stars wear and then all mm. around it there are all these like mostly naked men just like doing weird like she <laughs> the, the video starts and like she's like in this room and she's surrounded by like these shirtless men and then she like gets up and she like walks along <laughs> And for some reason, there's another shirtless man's kind of like lying on the floor on like the chaise long thing. And it doesn't really explain why he's there. And then it kind of hangs on him for a few minutes. And then she's like going out and the video's still going. And then there's like guys in like Speedos washing her car. It's very odd, but also very funny. (laughs) (laughs) To kind of swiftly segue into the topics of sex positivity, since the last 15 minutes of this conversation have been around it, I think I've, I've always wanted to know, when was the first time you had sex? I was 15. It was not romantic. I had my progression of sexual activity is like mm-hmm. the wrong way around. Because I had given a blowjob and tried anal sex before I had my first kiss. Which was because I think I was trying to figure out if I could be happy. Happy in what way? Because I didn't, there wasn't like, there wasn't like a paradigm or like a role model I can look to of like, how do I be happy if I don't want to get married to a girl? Mm-hmm. I don't want to have kids. Because like all my other friends were like, you know, going on dates with girls. And I knew I didn't want to go on dates with girls. When I looked around, like, you know, all the grown-ups I knew, it was like, you know, you marry someone of the opposite gender and you had kids. And that was like, you know, that's what life is. And I was just like, well, obviously that's not going to work for me. So how do I exist? Like, not even like, how do I be happy initially? I think which is like, I literally don't know what a grown up like me does. Like, how do you, like, what, what does it consist of? Yeah. And so then I had like, oh, he wasn't even really a friend, just sort of someone I knew. But for some reason, we got in the situation where we kind of fool around a bit. And I just, I didn't understand what like being gay would actually entail. Yeah. Not even just like, you know, logistically of like, what do I do with a dick? I didn't know how to be like intimate with like a, another man or like how to express yourself or what words, like, how do you talk to another boy in a way that isn't just, you know, being Macy? It's like, how do you like be emotionally intimate and vulnerable with another person? that isn't a girl because I had some idea of how it worked with a girl from like, you know, movies and TV shows and like my parents and every other kid I knew was like, you know, fancying girls and talking to girls and all this. So I sort of knew how that worked. It was as stupid and fundamental as do I call them like bro during it? Like how does it <laughs> do boys call other boys who they're fucking babe or do you are like darling? Or do you say like, Oh dude, great job. sucking my dick. That was, that was gnarly. <laughs> Like, I had no idea. There was no, I had no conception of how it worked at all. But I knew that, like, I fancied boys and I knew that I, like, I wanted him to take his shirt off and it felt really good when he took his shirt off. But I didn't know, like, how to operate in that world at all. And so I think I was, I was using the whole thing as like a, okay, can I do this? And I think with the benefit of hindsight, he just really wanted his dick sucks <laughs> and he was not that big and did not really care. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Just like, I would really love a blowjob, I think was his approach to life. Yeah, I think what you just said there, would I be right in saying that there was no model that you could look to? Literally, when I was quite young, the only thing was queer as folk. It was like a TV drama in like the late 90s. 
but it was about like a bunch of gay guys living in Manchester. And it was like kind of funny and kind of serious. And it was just like their lives. No, I think it was early noise. Anyway, so that was the only, because like there were gay characters and other things, but there was like, there was like the one gay guy in a sitcom and all the jokes were about the fact that he was gay. It didn't actually tell Mm -hmm. you anything about like being gay, you know? And I was like, where, and, but in that show, it's like, you know, they're gay and they're having sex and you see them having sex and they're like friends of each other. And it's like, how does all this work? So that was, yeah. So every gay guy my age has seen every episode of Queer as Folk multiple times. And we can all talk about that. Um, was it a good representation of like what we consider gay culture? Uh, yeah, like so in like a very today, like the core of the series is like this 30 year old fucking this 15 year old. So it's very problematic. And they're all like sex addicted and sort of unhappy and it's all kind of like you know a bit soapy and melodramatic and everything but it was still like weirdly powerful just to see like gay people just being gay people and going about their lives and just like you know existing like what you said there there's such need even now like there's so much work that needs to be done when it comes to representation i wanted to see what the other options were yeah i think that's what i really would love when i was a kid i was like okay i get from every single movie and tv show that i'm allowed to mm-hmm. be like a single heterosexual person in my mid-30s fucking a yeah. succession of women who are in one episode <laughs> and then eventually marrying one of them <laughs> i get that that's an option i understand <laughs> that I can do it but i would like please to also see what are like some other things i can maybe do <laughs> if that's not for me i wanted a menu <laughs> and there wasn't really there was like every single piece of media you saw and in my personal life like every grown-up I knew. That was what they had all done. And then mm-hmm. there was also this one Channel 4 TV show from like the early noughties. So how did you go from, say, that place of like not having a model, not having an idea of how like gay relationships worked to where you're at now? That show from the noughties to your understanding of what relationships are now, what the journey has been in, and the process behind it? I don't know exactly. I can give you some landmarks along the way. From like 16 to 20, I mm-hmm. was I was essentially on like a marathon slut run mm-hmm. for like most of that period of time, especially mm-hmm. once I got to college. Because like, you know, I was doing that a bit when I was in like secondary school. But like, you know, I was from like a relatively small town. There were like very few like boys I could. And then it was like, if you're like a 16 year old in like a medium sized town in Ireland mm-hmm. and you want to hook up with another gay boy. You have to put in so much leg just to like get some dick. Like, <laughs> so, so genius. I mean, my God. Because first you have to like, you know, there's like the guy who you know is gay, but like you want to admit that he's gay and you're not admitting that you're gay, but like you just kind of like hang out a bit. But then like you're hanging out, you know, but you know you both want to kind of fuck, but then you're not admitting that you kind of want to fuck. And then like there's this whole yeah. thing and then you have to get really drunk because we're Irish and that's the only way anyone of us ever has sex. Like it was just like, it was like two months of work just to like get a blowjob. I mean, my God, it was like so tedious. And then it would usually be in like a field. Like most major events in your life happened in a field for some reason. Field parties were like the cornerstone of my existence. Like the second time I ever had anal sex, I was getting fucked against a tree. Because we weren't arse like going like deep into the woods. We were can just I, can I, out of eye shots. Can I bring the alleyway story now? I resent the way that this topic has been brought up here in our conversation. <laughs> And I have felt for many years that this anecdote has been egregiously misrepresented. <laughs> okay, first of all, oh my god, David, how did you give a blowjob in an alleyway? Sometimes you just have to give a blowjob in an alleyway, okay? Sometimes life just happens that way, okay? Sometimes you're in a situation where you're like, I'd like to give this guy a blowjob, but you're also in the same situation of, I don't want to go home yet. I don't want to, like, spend <laughs> the rest of the night with this guy. Like, you know, sometimes you're just like, you're drunk, you're young, you're 19, you're horny, and you're like, I'm just gonna, you know, suck his dick, and mm-hmm. then go back in and meet up with my friends and carry on for the rest of the night. Outside this nightclub, sir, officer, thank you for asking. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, so I was on a night out, there was a boy, he was pretty, I was quite inebriated, and mm-hmm. so we went the other way out back, and I gave him a blowjob. Now. I should at this point probably mention that this was not the first time I'd given a blowjob to a guy in an alleyway. At the time, it was sort of my, you know, <laughs> those things in their back pocket that are like, they can just like, you know, I can just trot this one out. If it's yeah. an anecdote, if it's like your good dance move. My best anecdote was, hey, how about I give you a blowjob in the alley right now? 
That's a powerful move, though. If we can put a pin in that, like that's a powerful move. Like my go-to move is playing sad songs on a guitar in the hopes that somebody would shift me. Whereas your move is like going See, up to I somebody. I find that so infuriating when you do that. <laughs> and I'm like, this cannot possibly work on anyone. And then I'll be talking to a girl and it will be working on her so intensely <laughs> in a way that I don't understand. I'll be like, oh my God, Pranav is that guy. He's got the fucking guitar out. He's singing fast car. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, this is like so cringe. And I'll be next to this girl and I'll turn around to be like, oh my God, isn't he pathetic? And she'll be like, I want him so bad. <laughs> oh my God, wait, oh, and he's, oh. So there's just some gene that that really speaks to that I'm missing. I mean, that was, that was the model that I grew up with. Of like, if you play guitar. Basically, I was the Duke Silver of my time. <laughs> So, uh, do so I finish the alleyway story? <laughs> yeah. So before before you finish it, the the reason I think it's such a powerful move is like <laughs> I have my sad song. Somebody has like a slick one liner. You know what you want. Also, you know what they want. So what you do is you just go and walk up to someone and like, hey, alleyway now. I would love if we lived in a world where everyone was just like that all the time. It would like I would I think it would be great. I don't mean like going up to strangers and saying, please can you suck my dick? I mean, I have... Because <laughs> obviously that's creepy and weird. Don't do that. That is weird. Yes. But like, I have a friend and like ages ago, because obviously there's a pandemic, all of these stories are ages ago. But we were just like hanging out one time and he was just like, hey, could you just like, would you maybe want to suck my dick right now? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Like, that's just, that's so much nicer. Can we not just like be like... Cannot just be like, hey, do you want to get a pizza? Cannot just be like, hey, I'd quite like a blowjob. I don't know if that's something yeah. you'd be cool with. And I'm like, yeah, cool, sure, let's do that. It's so much like, oh, it doesn't have to be like such a big deal every time. Like, oh my God, just like, you can just be honest and just say, hey, I think you're cute. I don't, I have a reasonable expectation that this isn't going to be weird if I say it. And if it is, you can totally say no, but I would quite like to have sex with you right now. I would. I mean, that's great. I love that. I think it requires a journey of a being okay with rejection, yeah. because there's obviously a no at the end of it. But also, I find just knowing what you want and the confidence around it, but also saying it in a way like there's a very fine line between straightforward and creepy. Yeah, exactly. I think it's it's very creepy to say that to a stranger. <laughs> yes. I think if you're like friends with someone and you're kind of like. Like, sometimes in the past, I've been, like, sort of friends with someone, and I've kind of been, like, I would kind of like this to turn into a fuck buddy situation, but I don't mm -hmm. really know how to, like, you know, how do I, like, you know, get us into a situation where that feels acceptable, blah, 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 blah. Then also, you can just, like, you can just be, like, hey, do you want to maybe be fuck buddies? And they'll either say no, or they'll say yes, or they'll say, I don't know. And then you can, mm -hmm. like, move on. Life. I think the core of it is you have to be okay with the answer being anything but yes. I have fear of rejection. <laughs> If I'm like romantically, if I like fancy the person, then I yes. am completely and utterly useless. I am, mm -hmm. I am a fish in the middle of the desert. I'm just flopping around and just dying. And I have no idea what any of my limbs do. And I just, I'm a complete disaster. But if it's mm -hmm. like, you know, I think someone's cute and I just like, you know, have a bit of fun with them or whatever, then it's like, okay, yeah. fine. The worst thing that happens is that they say no. And then it's like, okay, great. Yeah. Now I can move on and <laughs> continue yeah. my life. People who, and I, like, it's been so long since I've gone on a night out. I'm like, my God, this feels like picking up the distant past. But like, sometimes yeah. I'll go on a night out with people and they'll be like, they'll be like eyeing a person for like ages, like across the dance floor, mm -hmm. or, like the bar or whatever. And they'll just be like making eyes at them and maybe like looking a little bit flirty and it's be going off like 40 minutes. I'm like, what are you doing spending 40 minutes doing this? I've had 
like sex for the first time in college. Like I was a late bloomer in that, that I wanted to sleep with somebody that I cared about. Because like, I find to this day being vulnerable very hard. And I'm not opposed to it, but I'm just very picky about it. And I have never been more glad that I got to explore my own sexuality with somebody that I loved. And obviously that relationship didn't work out in that whole journey on its own. But like, even when I reflect on it now, I'm just like, I'm just glad that happened with the person I, that it happened with. Because I felt comfortable. I felt like we both gave it enough time before we jumped into it. It was intimate. It was lovely. It was private. And that's exactly how I would have wanted it. So I'm glad I had it that way. So, yeah. And like, I think about it now, but we both embarked on our sexual journeys and exploring what sexuality meant to us together. And having somebody who's as near to it as you are, almost, and obviously somebody you love, almost invite, there's an invitation to explore maybe a bit more freely, at least because I come from a very narrow perspective on like the first person I had sex with was somebody I was in a relationship with. So I found it very weird having sex outside of a relationship once that relationship ended. But in a, in a big way, I think that a relationship allowed me to explore my sexuality, my kinks, all of that in a very safe space, which I'm ever so grateful about. I'm a little bit jealous of that because like all my, you know, sexual development stuff was all like, you know, fuck buddy mm-hmm. or one night stands or like people you'd like have some sex with, but it'll be very like chill and everything. No. And it took me like so long to even just work up the courage to ask for the things I wanted sexually. Mm-hmm. You know, like I had so much like sex where I was just like hoping like, I, I, I really hope he chokes me at some point. <laughs> like, I just really, really yeah. want that to happen. But I would never yeah. ask for it because I was like, so like ashamed. I spent like so long not wanting to admit that I wanted the things I wanted because mm-hmm. it just seemed so obvious to me that it meant that there was something really wrong with me from wanting it. And that I didn't want to like out myself to like other mm-hmm. people, you know? Yeah, like, I want a guy to, like, choke me while he's fucking me, but I probably just think that because I saw it in porn. I don't actually want that. Oh, like, I want this other thing, but, like, oh, it's probably, you know, just because I didn't really like myself when I was a kid or something. That kinky stuff always kind of carries that connotation of, like, like, it's just someone who, like, likes really kinky sex or something in, like, a movie or TV show or something. And, like, the third act is going to be, like, when they sit down and talk about, like, you know, oh, my father died. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I was like adopted or like, oh, this horrible thing happened. Or like, oh, you know, I just, yeah. there was so much cancer when I was a kid. There was just all this cancer. And the only way I can do all this cancer is by like getting spit on during sex. And you're like, what is the possible connection between those two facts? But like, mm-hmm. that's the logic. So it does sound good to me what you were talking about. Like, you know, realizing you liked all that in like this, like safe little bubble. Yeah. So I had to sort of figure out that I liked all that and that I actually did like all that and that I actually wanted it sort of by myself which was not ideal the thing i'll say about that because I'm, I'm i'm glad that i had that experience but what that did for me was i then built up this notion that i can only have this level of like honest open conversation around sex only in a relationship which is a whole load of bullshit but it took me a whole journey of being terrible in bed to kind of come around to be like it's not about what you've learned and it's not about like how big your dick is or like these big fancy moves that you could pull or they can pull. It's about being open to communicate of like, this is what I like. This is what it doesn't do for me. The greatest gift anybody ever gave me was have a conversation around basically safe sex, having a conversation around what the turnoffs was, what were a big avoids in our relationship and then ending it with the conversation of like, okay, what turns you on? So that intimacy automatically built up and just this vulnerable place of having an honest conversation and i have always since the moment that the person i was dating had introduced me to the conversation of same sex try and start a conversation around safe sex even like the day before we're about to like i will not have sex with somebody unless they've been tested and i've been tested because i just think that's the more responsible way to be i think it is true that like generally at least in my experience, the best kind of like sex or fuck buddy things I've developed have been from people you meet, like who's like a friend of a friend. And then mm-hmm. you like would have known them a bit from like one or two parties and you chat a bit. 
and you hang out with them, and then you start like you know getting to know them one on one. They kind of come pre-approved, if you know what I mean. So you're left like less self-conscious about them, or like less worried about like what did they turn out to be a psycho? You're like, oh no, like yeah. Steve, some Steve's all right. <laughs> this ties into what I'm about to get, but also the thing you mentioned of like having certain kinks can often be like this thing, or is almost assumed like, what is wrong with you for having that kink, or am I going to be judged because there is like some damage that I'm trying to repair? Not every aspect of what I prefer in bed has to do with some like unhealed trauma. And I have my thoughts on this, but I'm curious to know your thoughts of like, why do you think there is an assumption that because say you like to be whipped or like you like to be tied up in bed or like you like to be dominated or you want to dominate? Why any of that in that dynamic is a flair for what is your trauma? I think it's because like I can answer it this way. I was always really confused by people talking about like the pornification of sex. I'd hear like my friends talk about it and they'd be like, oh yeah, you know, it's terrible. Like, you know, these people who are now like doing like these weird, like really aggressive sexual things because they've seen it on porn and that's what like real sex and that's what they think real sex is like, but real sex isn't like that at all. And they're doing, you know, these bad things. I'm like totally willing to concede that's like maybe a real problem. Mm -hmm. and we should be doing shit about that maybe. And that's like totally not belittling that at all. But it always confused me because my experience of sex was always having sex with boys and it being like really like, you know, nice and like, you know, perfectly fine. But like, you know, it was all lots of like, you know, handholding and are you okay? And <laughs> staring into my eyes and things like this. And I was like, I would really, really like you to just fuck the shit out of me. <laughs> Like, please, can you can you maybe, like, you know, be psychologically ruined by some porn? Please, that would really help me out right now. <laughs> it was such, like, a weird, for, like, a year or two when I came to college, because I wasn't admitting to any of my friends that I really wanted to just be, like, tied up. Yeah. And, like, have a guy just, like, you know, use me was, like, what I wanted to happen. So I was, like, nodding along in all these conversations about, like, oh, yeah, isn't it terrible that, like, you know, people feel like they need to do, like, this rough sex now? I was like, I was like, oh, yeah, that is... That is terrible. Who are these guys? Can you give me their number? Like, oh, yeah, that was really bad. What was this guy who did this to you? What was his name? And do you have his Facebook profile? Like, can I message him maybe? But I think even more just like fundamentally, even if the fact that I like that sex is because of like some unhappiness I had in my childhood or because of some deeper trauma or whatever, it's like, who fucking cares? I think it's okay to want a guy to tie me up. Like, I'm doing it responsibly. We have like safe words and things. It's all like, I'm taking it seriously. Like, so yeah. if that's me working through subconsciously something, I think that's grand. Sex can be so therapeutic. Right? Oh, yeah, definitely. And the one example or the one time in my life I can go back to has got nothing to do with me having my dick inside anybody. The most therapeutic moment that I can think of, and I remember it clear as day because it's such a moment where like my life went, fuck me, this is what happens when you ask for what you want. Like, I remember it as one of the most profound sexual experiences I've ever had because I got to give all control away to somebody that I felt safe in a sexual setting with. And there was boundaries, just like you said, there were safe words, there were boundaries, there was consent, there, were, there was a conversation about what is acceptable and what's not. So that is my aha moment of like, this is what happens when you ask for what you want. I think I always felt that like the thing you were supposed to do, mm -hmm. like, and I don't even, I don't even know if there is like some underlying reason why I'm into like the kinky submissive stuff I'm into, but like, I always felt, or like, I felt like I had like absorbed like the idea that if you like that kind of thing, that's a warning sign that maybe you should go to therapy and like, you know, deal with these underlying issues and talk to a psychiatrist. And I'm like, okay, you could do that, or you could probably have like, you know, responsible light kink sex and you're not going to have to pay loads of it. You're not going to have to talk to a stranger about like your relationship with your like parents for nine hours. You could just, you know, have some nice sex and there's an orgasm at the end of it and it's really fun and it's amazing and you have a great time. And if that's, if that is you sort of working through something, then like, great, that's like another extra bonus to it. So like over and over again, I keep learning the lesson in life of like, oh, it doesn't matter. Just fucking go of it. It doesn't care. Like, who cares? Just yeah. like, do it. It's like, 
oh, like, I'm gay, I can't be gay. It's like, oh, actually, no, you're gay, just go with it. Oh, I'm into kinky yeah. stuff, I can't be into kinky stuff. Oh, no, you are, just fucking go with it. Like, just stop caring, because it doesn't actually matter, so just go with what you feel like. That that really, in a way, summarizes every bit of a conversation that we've had so far. And, like, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. And I'm I'm so glad that it came from you, because... It doesn't really matter what the world thinks you should want. So long as you're honest about what you want, you pretty much nailed it in not so many words of like, when you're honest about what you want, every time you do that, every time you own up to your own truth, you become a more evolved and developed human. I know that has been the experience for me. Uh, Like for the longest time, I knew that I wanted to explore non-monogamy. But much like your experience about, say, growing up as a boy who had no other model than a very heteronormative model of what a relationship was. I did not see a model of what an open relationship or a healthy, I suppose, open relationship. Sure, I saw like couples in an open relationship and then them just like not communicating and that not working out. And so the model was, if you open your relationship, it's going to fail. So I was dead terrified. And as grateful as I am for my relationship being a part of my life, I have, I'm such gratitude for how it ended. But I sometimes wonder what my journey would have been had I been, having been in that relationship, opened up a conversation around, how about we open this, but with like a model of an open relationship that I've now come to understand. But I realize how paradoxical that sounds because I wouldn't have had that model and that journey had I not had gone through the breakup and all of that. I'm very glad I had that opportunity because that has now given me, like I've met people where like, I have a very good understanding that this is a model available for me, something that wasn't even in my field of view till I was about 23. They never tell you when you're a kid of like, oh, there are all these other options. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like there are all these different ways of being a grown up and you can just like try them out and pick whichever one you want. You know, they never like, it's always just sort of assumes like, oh yeah, you're going to like, you know, get married and have kids, right? That's like what you're going to do. And you're going to be like monogamous and that's what's going to happen. I was like, yeah. Sarah, can I see option B? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just just so I can explore this. Like, mm-hmm. okay, for me with polyamory, I went from like absolute monogamy to absolute non-monogamy. And now I'm somewhere in the middle where like I've really deeply come to understand that for me, it's the relationship and the person that matters more than what sort of relationship that is. And what that experience around like discovering polyamory and the journey has allowed me to learn is more important than there's a different model of like, how to fucking communicate with a partner, something yeah. I had no clue about. Um, just very briefly, you said about how you went from like being super monogamous to like super non-monogamous. There is a term I think you might like, which is the baby gay dive. <laughs> the baby gay dive is the gay who's just come out mm-hmm. and they've just like, maybe like they've just come out and they've just moved to like a big city or something. They're yeah. like brand new to being like openly gay. And they go like, so far, <laughs> like yeah. covered head to toe in glitter every day. <laughs> it's like fucking everything, just like fully hundred yeah. percent all in. <laughs> yeah, I definitely I definitely had a moment. You were the second person I ever told that I was exploring polyamory. Right? Because I I, I think we've always had that relationship where like we could talk about this shit without judgment. But Basically, I went on the journey of like, once the floodgates were open, any moment that I got <laughs> to talk about polyamory, even when it wasn't invited, people were like, oh, how are you doing? Well, I'm good. Also, I'm poly. Uh, it, was, it was, God, like, fuck me. When I think about it now, I was like, I was an irritating prick. Nobody needed to know about any of this. So I went through that. There was like, okay, catch yourself. This is the moment where you realize. But what, what I'm trying to get at with the, the excitement around it really ties into, say, you opening up about what you wanted in bed or like me talking about what I wanted in bed or out of a relationship or like us just accepting who the fuck we were, no matter how long that took. I think it's such a beautiful moment because it's almost like you get a superpower. Like, fuck me, I finally know what I am or I have a closer or like a better idea of who I am and what I want. Also, just like realizing the things about sex that were like really overrated and really underrated things like just like coming to that realization. Of like, it took me so long to realize that like, actually, like, can we focus less on the orgasm and just like have fun and like not be worrying about like coming for like the entire point of it, please? Orgasms are great. And it's like a nice little, you know, dessert at the end of the meal. 
Yeah, like here's a nice little treat you get at the end for having all that fun time, and here's like an extra little treat, and it's like, oh, great. But like, you know, as with so many things, Pran, it's about the journey, not the destination, you know? <laughs> so just because for the first while that you're having sex, it's like, you feel this incredible, or at least I did. I can't speak for other people. But I felt like this incredible pressure of like, the minute we were both naked, I was like, right, I have to make this person orgasm. <laughs> and like, the better I can make them orgasm, the better I am at sex. And that's how you know if you're good at sex. So like that was like everything. And then, you know, you have sex enough times with enough people and you kind of eventually realize it's like, oh, okay, we'll get around to the orgasm at the end, especially because I have a huge advantage in that I'm gay. And it is mm-hmm. so easy to make men come. It is not an achievement. It's like yeah. nothing to be proud of if you can make a man have an orgasm. Yeah. So just realizing that like, okay, no, it's about the fun bit of sex is like the middle bit. And the end is also yeah. kind of nice. But the middle bit is like where you have most of the fun was like quite a big realization to me what about you pram it sounds horrible but like dun, it's dun. foreplay oh and i'll tell you no i'll tell you why i'll tell you why natural foreplay when it comes naturally right is beautiful it's really beautiful when you're both in the moment and you've all and like i don't think foreplay starts 15 minutes before sex I think foreplay starts maybe like a day before sex if it has to, or like you're sending sneaky texts of like, like can't wait to sting shit you're getting up to here. This is like intense. <laughs> but like, yeah, so I, I love the natural foreplay. What I hate is the forced foreplay. So I'll explain what it means because I think there's an expectation recently. This has started happening recently. So it's like if there's an when there is an expectation, the best analogy I can give to this is imagine you're in a lobby trying to play Call of Duty and suddenly now you have to start watching trailers, right? You're forced to watch trailers. Sometimes, sometimes you just want to start with the game. You don't even want to wait in the lobby. I just, I love, I I adore so deeply the fact that the best analogy you could think of (laughs) It was Call of Duty. Was Call because <laughs> that just so explicitly says Call of Duty is a sexual experience. I am so so offended that you didn't get that same thrill from playing Star Wars Battlefront with me. Because <laughs> there was never a moment during that that you looked over at me and said, "David, you were so good at being Count Dooku in that last round. <laughs> I must have you." <laughs> this well, brings me on to something I would like to very quickly mention. Yes. Just about like me and Pran being mistaken for a couple. Oh no. So when Pran and I go around town sometimes and we're popping into shops and things, people quite often assume, because I come across as being quite gay and Pran comes across as being kind of ambiguous, people assume we're a couple, which is fine. And Pran normally doesn't have any problem with this. Like we were in a sex shop one time and the guy obviously assumed that we were like using it on each other, which wasn't the case, but Pran didn't care. (laughs) So one time we're in Lush, which is a wonderful shop selling all kinds of wonderful bathroom products and like soaps and beautiful things. And I love Lush so much. It makes me so happy. And I was in there to buy a bath bomb. And so we go in, we're like looking around and there's a very nice lady there working there. And I say, sorry, can you help us just me pick a bath bomb? And I'm there with Pram. And story. she's going, and Lush staff are like very like, you know, oh my God, babe, yes, of course I can. Oh, what do you want? Da, da, da. So she's showing me all these different products and I'm smelling them and being like, oh, well, this one, what about this one? Unbeknownst to me, Pran has been very silent this whole time and has said nothing, which was odd. Which is very out of character in this dynamic. And at one point, the lady working there turns to me and she hands me a bath bomb and she says, what about this one? And I smell it and I go, I'm not sure, Pran, what about you? And I turn to Pran and I pass him the bath bomb and he refuses to take the bath bomb. He bats my hand away and says, with one eye on this woman, I don't know. Being a heterosexual man, I'm not the best to judge whether this bath bomb smells good or not. I have no criteria by which to make this judgment. I have no idea. And then there was what I can only describe as like an epoch-length silence. As this girl and I just kind of stared at you, being like, what the fuck was that? (laughs) Because I think I dropped... Like, my voice dropped an octave where I was like, I was a very heterosexual man. I have no opinions on that one. Like a dark knight voice for some reason as well. That was very (laughs) odd. And then, like, you know, I was like, okay, that was weird. You know, bye bath on whatever. It's all over. We go out on the street and I turn to Pran and I'm like, what just happened there? And he was like, I don't know. She was just so hot. (laughs) She was so good looking. (laughs) 
and I just panicked. And I don't know why I said that. <laughs> oh, God. It's been a personal letdown of mine. <laughs> oh, oh, God. <laughs> so, Lush is great because the girls in there are so lovely and all the guys are gay and most of them are very cute. So you just go in there and buy some bath bombs and do some flirting and it's wonderful. <laughs> Lush sponsored this podcast. Um, <laughs> But uh, no, they don't. They don't sponsor this background to What's the most underrated things in sex? Um, I think for me, the most underrated thing is the goofiness in it. Like, sex is weird on the best of days. And there's, there's humor, there's laughter. There's like sometimes you don't know what's happening. And I think it's such an underrated part that because it, it's almost an exp- extension of the natural level of comfort that you can feel with somebody. So yeah, I think for me, it's going, it has to be the, goofiness the lightheartedness that comes around sex no i agree with that like the friendliness of sex is underrated yeah but like, be original don't steal my response <laughs> okay no my actual response is i was gonna say this anyway but now mm. it has gained the additional veneer of being a stern retort to your indictment of foreplay earlier <laughs> okay i love i love foreplay i mm-hmm. uh, like the part where like you're both kind of like half naked and you're kind of just like rolling around a bit and you're sort of like, you know, just having a grope and having like shifting and everything like, oh, it's beautiful. But I think the best moment is definitely the like half a second before mm-hmm. the first time you kiss. That is like, I could live in that moment forever. That is just amazing. It's so good. You know what's beautiful about that moment? Yeah. There's only one of that moment that you get to share with somebody there's a timelessness to that moment. Because you both know that you both want to kiss each other. Mm-hmm. But there's still that little bit of like, oh, what if I'm misreading it? Or if it was that tiny little thing, and then you get a little bit closer, and then you kind of lean in a bit, and then you're like, okay, no, it's definitely happening. Because, you know, obviously, nine times out of ten, you also have just been staring into each other's eyes for a few seconds at this mm-hmm. point. You're both so vulnerable, but also just really present in that one moment in a way that mm-hmm. for the whole rest of the sexual act, you are also obviously like very present and very in the moment and everything, but you're also sort of thinking about like, you know, the logistics of what's happening or what's coming up next or like, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of that going on in the back of your brain somewhere. But just when you're about to kiss yeah, and you're both starting to lean in and just that little tiny moment before your lips actually touch, that is yeah. the best part of the whole thing. That is yeah. amazing. I love it so much. Because something fundamentally changes after that moment. Yeah, and there's a moment before that you were two people who had never kissed, and now you're two people who have kissed. You completely yeah. changed that dynamic. It, it made me think of, and I wish I could have picked this as well, but like naked cuddling. Okay, see, we are, this is another place we differ. When the <clears> sex <throat> is over, I am like, thank you for your service, you may now leave. <laughs> I am oh, so... <laughs> oh, I just like, I'm like, okay, great. This was fun. Please, can we put back on our clothes? Or can you please leave and let me go to sleep? Or like, I am, the yeah, the whole cuddling thing afterwards and wanting to spend time with them afterwards, I just, I am missing that gene. I have no interest. Well, it, it reminds me of this beautiful moment where a house was too cold and your exact okay. words were. <laughs> and that would so, not have happened if you had had the decency to fuck me first. But anyway, go on with the story. So, so we're, we're, David and I were at a Christmas party David has just ended up throwing the entirety of his guts. <laughs> I just had to carry somebody up a flight of stairs after they passed out naked on a toilet. What um, I learned that night was, do not gorge yourself on a huge Christmas dinner <laughs> and then chase that with a really irresponsible amount of vodka. That will not <laughs> end well for yeah. you or the lovely dinner you just ate. Yeah. So the moment straight after is David's worrying because he wants to go home, but he can't find his glasses. And there's no point in searching now because any we're the only two people up in this house. And this this house is cold. The hostess forgot to turn the heating on. One of the hostess, well, both of those were passed out at this point. This house is what in Ireland is called a boom build, where yeah. they just threw up a house and like cut all the corners. So there is no mm-hmm. insulation in this house at all. No heat yeah. has been on. It is Christmas time. No heat has been on for an entire day. I'm pretty sure it was like four or five degrees colder inside that house than it was outside. Like we find a room which hasn't been occupied and I'm like, fuck it, we'll just crash here, mate. And David is freezing. None of us has the energy to leave the house. 
So we decide to like sleep on this bed and like we have our backs to each other and then David's like shivering. And like I try and find like a bed sheet and I put it on him and he's still shivering. And then I want to point out that's actually even worse than that. (laughs) You're not remembering how bad it was. It was this giant party. So like there were like at least 20 people asleep in like different corners of this room. And it was like people had vomited everywhere. The The floors were all sticky from like spilled Mm. drinks and like food and everything. It was really gross. But we were in like this one little bedroom and there was no like, it was just like a bare mattress and like a sheet, well, not even a blanket. And we were both in there. And so, yeah, then I'm freezing. You're like, oh, let me warm you up. And I go, oh, nothing warm me up. Then you like, you say, oh, do you want me to cuddle you? And I say, oh, yes, please. And then you cuddle me for a while. And then I like start dozing off and I'm fucked drunk. <laughs> and then you start, <laughs> we start dozing off and everything. Everything's really nice there for a while. And then you go to like, I assume because I had stopped shivering, you go to like move away from me and stop cuddling me. And I physically grabbed your arms, <laughs> pulled you back over me. And then I didn't even say it. I like whispered it, not even consciously. It came from like the core of my being, from like my soul. <laughs> I said, hold me and never let go. <laughs> what a like, moment. That, it was either that evening or like the next morning after that, I was hooking up with a guy. And, and I just suddenly realized, I was like, oh, I'm still not healed <laughs> from the other night. I have not spiritually, or more importantly, physically recovered enough to the point yeah, I have okay. to fail on the whole event. It's it's a night I will end up writing about at some point. Um, <laughs> because it's like, it needs to be immortalized in words, and in a way it has been immortalized on this podcast. Um, David, thank you for coming on. And uh, listen, if Lush is listening to this and they decide to sponsor this, listen, <laughs> we'll, we'll do a second season and we'll have you again. But... Uh, Thank you, mate. Thank you for coming on. Thank you very much for having me on. Love and Citizenship is part of the Writer Project. We have new episodes out every Wednesday, and you can find out more in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you in the next one. Take it easy.